Good morning, everyone. Everybody doing okay? It's good to see some familiar faces. Uh, as Kevin said, I've gotten to know some of you uh, last semester, Monday, Wednesday, Friday, Tuesday night, or even this semester, Tuesday night, as, we, as we've explored the wonderful world of philosophy. Philosophy 180, baby. Yeah, thank you for that shout out back there. I appreciate that. Uh, but it's been good to get uh, to know many of you, and I look forward to getting to know more of you uh, this, this school year. Um, uh, my wife and I, Emily, uh, went to school here at, at uh, Indiana Wesleyan and uh, have just moved back with our kids, uh, Silas and Ainsley. Silas is seven, Ainsley is five, and uh, they're the joy of our life. And um, we love, as a family, we love uh, different seasons of the year because we get to celebrate different seasons. We're especially loving Easter right now. Uh, those of us who follow Christ, we, we love this season of the year, don't we? Uh, it's full of just images. It's rich with imagery. There's, there's the cross. We think of uh, the cross during this season. We, we think of uh, grave tombs and, and empty tombs. We think of crowns of thorns. There's lots of images um, don't get mixed up. We, we don't like, I'm not talking about Easter eggs and Easter bunnies and baskets and those kind of images. Uh, uh, I don't know where that came from. It's probably an American thing. That's typically what we do, you know. Actually, I heard a, a British uh, um, a comedian say once, he was talking about this phenomenon of the Easter bunny and said, what, do, what did you Americans do? Did you just kind of stand around one day and just kind of think, huh, let's, how do we remember uh, Christ's death, his resurrection? Uh, I don't, I know, an Easter bunny. Uh, that's a good idea. So I don't know where it came from, but that's not the image that we want to think about during the Easter season. There's an image that I want to look at today. There's an image that I think sometimes we forget in this story. Going into the, the week of Easter this coming week, there's an image that I think sometimes get lo- gets lost, and it's the image of a table. Now, I'm not talking uh, this morning about the, the Last Supper table. I'm talking about just table in general, tables where Jesus would gather with people. Jesus would have meals with people. Uh, he did this all the time. If you look at his life, you see that so often he gathers around tables and he invites people to sit with him, to have a meal. Uh, and, and as you follow Jesus, as you look at his life, you see this over and over. There's a table scene in Mark chapter 14 that I want to look at this morning. And so if you have your Bibles, turn with me. And if not, we have uh, the text up on the screen. But we're going to look at this table scene in Mark chapter 14. As you turn there, think about tables in your life. Think about what happens at those tables. See, meal tables like this are places where relationships are built and memories are made. Are they not? I mean, what do you do when you want to connect with somebody? Hey, let's have coffee together or, hey, let's go do lunch sometime. I don't know how you do lunch, but evidently that's what you do as a human being. You do lunch with somebody and relationships are built. Memories are made as well. It was just, what, a year ago, Emily, that uh, our daughter Ainsley, she's five now, she was four then, and she was sitting at the table with, with uh, my wife and my son, and, and I was traveling, I was gone, but Emily tells me that she said, Mom, I, I think I really want to uh, pray and invite Jesus into my heart. And without a beat, my son Silas just turned to Mom and said, do you mean this whole time he has not been in there? And so, so the... Memories are, memories are made. You, you probably have your own memories, good and bad, that happen at a table and relationships that are built. Well, this isn't anything new. This is something that in Jesus' days, relationships were built, memories were made around tables. And as you follow his life, you see that so often Jesus spent time with these people. And he did a significant amount of his ministry at a table with people, eating meals, talking, sharing. And we're going to look at one of those stories this morning for a few minutes. Mark chapter 14, it begins by saying, now the Passover 
and the Feast of Unleavened Bread were only two days away. Now, I want to pause right there and understand what's going on here. This story in Mark 14 uh, is of, of uh, it says that it was two days before the Passover and the unleavened bread. Of course, in our church year, in our calendar year, this would be next week that we're talking about, Passover, this meal that they would share. And then the Feast of the Unleavened Bread is a, a week that would follow this meal. And in, in Jewish custom, this would have been a, a normal thing uh, that was coming in the, weeks, in, in the weeks ahead. And it says that this story that we're looking at in Mark 14 took place two days before this. So for us, this might be somewhere around Tuesday of next week. Uh, there's another story of, of, uh, similar to this in John chapter 12, which happened more uh, tomorrow in our calendar year, six days before the Passover. There's a similar story that happened. Luke 7 tells a similar story uh, that happened earlier in Jesus' ministry, and they involve a table, and they involve Jesus ministering at a table. So in, uh, let's go back to the text. It was uh, the feast, uh, coming up on the Feast of Passover two days before And the chief priests and the teachers of the law were looking for some sly way to arrest Jesus and kill him. But not during the feast, they said, or the people may riot. Now this feast would be a time where Jewish people would gather together. And if you followed the story of Christ, you learn that there were people who loved him and there were people who hated him. It was kind of a mixed group. Some liked him, some didn't. He caused some trouble. Some of his teaching was was a little unorthodox. Some of his teaching was controversial for his day. And so this group was kind of mixed. But during the time of the Passover, during the time of uh, this Feast of Unleavened Bread, the population in Judea would have increased because people would come and celebrate this meal. And so the chief priests and these people who were kind of anti-Jesus thought, oh, we've got to be careful about trying to arrest him now because all these people are in town. We may have a riot on our hands because of this mixed group. Some loved him, some hated him. Well, verse 3 says that while he was in Bethany, reclining at the table in the home of of a man known as Simon the leper. Now, i got to stop right there because, you know, it wouldn't have been a table like this this morning. Nice chairs, nice wood, you know, trays and dishes and all this. In Jesus' day, they would recline. Oftentimes, there were pillows involved, tables low to the floor, just kind of kick back, relax, very casual type atmosphere. And this was very common for Jesus. He's reclining at the table in the home of a man known as Simon the leper. And then it says, a woman came. And we got to stop right there because oftentimes we read over these texts and we miss what's going on. The author of the Gospel of Mark just threw out two, two groups of people that Jesus hung out with quite a bit. But people in his day, especially rabbis like him, would not be typically hanging out with these type of people. At the home of a man named Simon the leper. Now, the, the, in, in Jesus' day, there was a hierarchical structure, a structure of kind of who's in and who's out. It was social, it was political, it was religious, and uh, it, it, it just was a reality in his day. At the top, you had Rome. This was the ruling uh, government in Jesus' day and where he lived. Under them, you have the tax collectors. We've heard about the tax collectors before, haven't we? These people who were working with Rome, and if Rome was the powerhouse and the ones with all the money, then you had the people who worked with Rome, and, and, and uh, they, they made money as well. You had the high priests, the Sadducees, some of these, these political parties involved. Of course, religiously speaking, the high priest was, was the most powerful religious person in Jesus' day, and the Sadducees kind of supported his movement. You had Pharisees under there. We, we hear about the Pharisees every once in a while. Uh, these were the teachers, the ones who would teach the law. Um, they were 
to use our terms today, we might consider them more of a middle class type of a group of people. Uh, they didn't have as much money as the high priest or as Rome or as the Sadducees. Below them, you had kind of the people of the land, the common people. Every day, you know, people who would go to work and, you know, you know get dirty and make a living uh, as they can in this part of the world. You would have slaves in here. And then you would have, at the lowest part, you'd have these sinners. These would be your murderers. These would be the people who cheated on their taxes. These would be prostitutes and people of this nature. But at the lowest, at the bottom of the bottom of the bottom of this social class of this hierarchical system would be people who had diseases like leprosy. And so automatically when we're coming across this story and we find that Jesus is at the home of a leper, that's a big deal. Jesus would do this often. In fact, they thought earlier, if you follow his teaching, you find that sometimes people referred to the fact that Jesus would have meals with sinners and prostitutes. They accused him once of being a drunkard because he hung out with all these people all the time. Different people, people who weren't necessarily like him. So it says here that Jesus was at the home of a man by the name of Simon the leper, and a woman came with an alabaster jar. Now again, we read this, maybe you've even heard this story, but the fact that Jesus is at a table, most likely at a table full of men in his culture. Uh, it reminded me, I was in, in India recently, and I was having a meal uh, with, with our host, and what I didn't understand is that the men would gather around the table, but the women would be off somewhere else. Maybe they were helping prepare the meal. Maybe they were with the children, but they didn't approach the table until we were all done. Kind of bothered me. I wanted to, you know, invite them, hey, come sit down or whatever, and I learned really quickly that in that culture, that, that, no, you don't do that. Same in Jesus' day. Women just stayed away, you know, and, and in some of this social hierarchical system, I mean, women, you know, could come to the table if maybe you're going to dance for us or something like this, but by no means do you just come to the table on your own. And this woman comes. She comes with an alabaster jar, a very expensive perfume made of pure nard, and she broke the jar and poured the perfume on his head. Who was this woman? Who was this woman? The John 12 story, she's named a different, the, the other story similar to this, there's a woman named Mary, Martha's sister, who does this. In Luke 7, it's just referred to, she's referred to as a sinful woman who comes and does a similar act. Who was this woman in Mark 4? I don't, I don't know. Maybe it's a woman, uh, if you have your Bibles, hold your finger there in, in Mark 14, flip to Luke 8 real quick. Maybe it's one of these women. I don't know. Luke 8 says, after this, Jesus traveled about from one town and village to another, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God. And the twelve were with him, and also some women who had been cured of evil spirits and diseases. And then Luke goes on to name some of them. Mary, called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had come out. Joanna, the wife of Cusa, the manager of Herod's household. This would have been a very wealthy woman. Susanna and many others. These women, listen to this, these women were helping to support them out of their own means. We often forget that Jesus had women disciples, women people who followed him, women who provided even financially. Maybe this is one of those women, I don't know. She's kind of the mystery woman of Mark 14. But she has this expensive bottle of perfume and she begins to pour it on Jesus. I gotta stop there. Have you ever had an awkward moment at like a dinner table? You know, maybe it's Thanksgiving and like somebody, some kid announces, mommy and daddy are having a baby. You know, what? You know, mommy and daddy are 45. And what happened? It's just this awkward moment, you know, and we weren't ready to announce that. Or maybe you've had awkward moments at your own tables in Baldwin or wherever. 
This is one of those moments where what's going on? This, first of all, we have a woman coming to the table. Now she's pouring stuff all over Jesus' head. It was slightly awkward. But listen, some of those present were saying indignantly to one another, why this waste of perfume? It could have been sold for more than a year's wages. That's what makes me think maybe it was one of these ladies in Luke 8. This is expensive stuff. Think of the expensive perfume that you probably can't afford as a college student right now. This is expensive stuff. Could have been sold for a year's wages. Listen to what they said. And the money given to the poor, and they rebuked her harshly. Don't these people sound so spiritual? Why this waste? You could have sold that, given the money to the poor. And they spoke indignantly towards her, and they rebuked her harshly. If you enter into this story and as you start to relate with different people, you have to wonder what's going through her mind. How is she feeling? I mean, already she's approached a table that she's most likely in her culture not welcome at. And she's performed this act, this awkward moment at the table and people are kind of wondering what's going on. And then she has people starting to rebuke her for what she does. Can you imagine how she's feeling in this moment? And can you imagine what she's thinking? But I love verse 6. Leave her alone, Jesus said. Leave her alone. You ever have somebody stand up for you? Maybe it's an awkward moment. Maybe it's a difficult moment. Maybe it's a challenging time in your life. Or maybe you have those people who are rebuking you. Maybe you've been falsely accused and you have someone who's, oh, no, no, wait a minute, wait a minute. That's not right. Leave her alone, Jesus says. Why are you bothering her? She has done a beautiful thing to me. The poor you'll always have with you, and you can help them anytime you want, but you will not always have me. She did what she could. I sometimes wonder if she really knew what she was doing. It's kind of this reckless abandon, reckless act of worship she's trying to express to this man who obviously has changed her life. She's at the threat of being, you know, ostracized or persecuted or, you know, just looked down on or rebuked. She she makes her way to the table and does this. I often wonder if she realized what's going on and how, how Jesus would re- respond. She's done a beautiful thing to me. In fact, Jesus said that not only did she do what she could, but she poured perfume on my body beforehand to prepare for my burial. Of course, that at the table would have been confusing for those people there. Well, wait a minute, what are you talking about? What's this burial? You know, what's going on? This would have been a typical thing done at burials is that the bodies would have been perfumed this way. Then listen to these words in verse 9. I tell you the truth. Wherever the gospel is preached throughout the world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. As I've read this text over and over and over, as I've explored a number of texts in the gospels where Jesus is, is ministering to people at tables, where Jesus is building relationships, where Jesus is making memories. This story sticks out to me because this is the story where he says, wherever the gospel goes throughout the whole world, this story is to be told in memory of her. Well, the question that begs to be answered is, what does Jesus want us to remember? What is it that Jesus wants us to remember? Is it the woman? Is it uh, what she did? You know, that she would 
performed this, you know, this reckless act of worship in the midst of all these people? Is that what he wants us to remember? Does he want us to remember that, you know, what he does, maybe, maybe what he wants us to remember is, is himself and what Jesus does. Maybe the story isn't so much about her as much as it is about Jesus because we know that scripture, whatever the stories are, whatever the texts, always point to Christ and how do we understand Christ better? Maybe it's not so much about this woman, although what she did was a beautiful thing that I think we can learn from, as much as I wonder if this story is about Jesus and I wonder if this story is about how Jesus treats people. I wonder if what Jesus is trying to get at here is to, to, to have us look at, at our tables. How do we treat people? How do we let people come to our tables? I oftentimes wonder if, if Jesus, you know, in the midst of being persecuted for the types of people that he, he hung out with, did they really get it? Did they understand? I mean, some of these people at this table were his disciples. Some of them were the ones who were rebuking this woman. And he'd spent three years with them. And did they really get it? What does he want us to remember? I think he wants us to remember that there's room at his table for anybody and everybody. There's room at Jesus' table for sinners and prostitutes, tax collectors, but also faithful, devout religious people as well. Jewish teachers, people, Jesus called so many different types of people and there was always room at his table for different people. People that didn't necessarily look like him, act like him, think like him. But people who were just trying to get up close to him. He always made room at his table. Now for you and I, I, I start to think about my own life and I think about my own tables, metaphorically speaking or literally, and how oftentimes I typically sit with people who are the same as me. Sameness is something that we gravitate to, don't we, as human beings? We try to find people who are like us, people that we can relate with, people who look like us, act like us, have similar interests. And so we gravitate to sameness. We come out of the lunchroom and we look for a place to sit by someone who we know. And I wonder if what Jesus wants us to understand is that if there is room at his table for anybody and everybody, is there room at our table for anybody and everybody? When I was a freshman in high school, I had, uh, we moved around a lot as a kid, and one of those moves was my freshman year, right in the middle of freshman year of high school. And you know how hard a freshman year in high school is, but, but we moved right in the middle, and I was at this new school, and I had that you know, terrifying moment the first day of class in this new school as I came out of the lunchroom. And I had my tray, and you know, I was going kind of like this because I'm kind of looking around wondering who's going to welcome me at their table, who's going to let me in, who is going to look at me and, and say, hey, there's room, pull up a chair. And I remember Joe Sullivan. I remember his words when he said, hey, new kid, come on over, have a seat. I love Joe Sullivan. That day and today, I love him because I wasn't, I wasn't the outcast anymore. I wasn't the, the kid who didn't know anybody. I was the kid who he welcomed to his table. I asked Emily if she'd sing a song that talks about this table in Jesus' day, but in our own day. And as she plays and as you listen to the words, I'd invite you to think about your own table and ask yourself the question, are the people at my table just like me? Are they all the same? Do we have the same interest? Are we 
all the same age? Are we in the same, you know, intellectual capacity? Do we have the same, you know, are we in the same socioeconomic situation? Same majors? Is, is it just all the same? Or are you surrounding yourself with people who are different than you? Are you open to having people who are not just like you at your table? Are you making room? Because if Jesus made room at his table for anybody and everybody, I wonder if he wants us to make room at our tables. Because tables are places where relationships are built, memories are made. Would you pray with me? Jesus, the example you give us is one that we can't ignore. You always make room for one more at your table. And uh, God, I pray that we would follow your example every day of our life. We were created for community. We were created for relationships with others. God, I pray for those of us on this campus that we would begin to expand the realm of those relationships, that we would get to know people that maybe are different from us, people who don't look like us, act like us, think like us, people that we differ with even theologically, philosophically, God. And may we get to know the people on this campus, the people that you've put into our world, God. Jesus, help us to follow your example by making room at our tables for others as well. Thank you for inviting us to your table and how that's changed so many of our lives. It's in your name we pray, amen. Have a great day.